This episode of the Blue Hawaii Podcast contains explicit language. Blue Hawaii. Yo, did you see Meek Mill got out this week? Yeah. I thought uh I thought that would be the biggest rap related story until uh a certain Mr. Kanye West had his full red pill conversion experience on Twitter. Yeah, did you see the the onion headline uh publicist worried Kanye West's support of Trump will damage his carefully crafted public image as a manic self-absorbed lunatic. <laughs> Dude, it's like narcissistic personality disorder is the new big tent of American politics. Do you remember when he tweeted, Bill Cosby innocent in all caps? Dude, yeah. Well, anyway, uh, enough has been said by crazy people on both sides, you know, claiming Kanye, not claiming Kanye, but et cetera. Essentially, if you had told me in 2018, uh, conservatives would get Kanye West and liberals would get the National Football League. I would have been very surprised. Especially after the George Bush doesn't care about black people. Yeah, George Bush doesn't care about black people, but Donald Trump does. Speaking of Bill Cosby innocent, uh, he was he is not. He's not, no. Nope. Uh, and he will hopefully be going to jail for a very long time. I, yeah. Pudding pops. <laughs> it's not a very good Bill Cosby. <laughs> it was, it's better well, than you mine. See, <laughs> it's better you, than mine. Ryan, well, you see, the thing is with the raping and the crime and the jail and the... I saw he called the prosecutor an asshole, though. Because the guy said he's a flight risk because he's got a plane. Because he's rich as fuck. <laughs> he fuck was like, Bill I'm Cosby. not a flight risk. Or it doesn't matter that I got a plane. It's like, it's like go, look, go, that's literally the definition of a yeah, flight risk you are is a when risk you could fly, fly away. Oh, my God. Um, do we want to talk about that whole Toronto like van murder cell incel thing? Or no, we'll just we'll let other people go into that. Uh, there's a bunch of weird virgin losers online and they're crazy. And yeah, men's rights is like the link into the alt-right. It's like, I feel like we could talk about it, but... And then we'll end up ranting for 45 minutes. And, yeah, and, and, yeah. and I don't think that we can do it justice. I mean, that's not that's not our that's not our fight, so to speak. I mean, you know, yeah. it, we're not Canadian and we're not in celibate most of the time. So Speaking of, speaking of all celibacy... All that to say, crazy white people, y'all knock it off. Knock it off, guys. But speaking of celibacy, the house chaplain, uh, a Jesuit priest was fired by Speaker Paul Ryan because he offered a prayer that was too nice to poor people. You know, that thing, uh, what, did, what would Jesus say about the poor people? I think he said, tax the poor. He said they should thank the 1%, yeah. right? Isn't that, didn't he write my that children, article we talked about last children, week? My children, it will trickle down. Uh, so here's what, anyway, so as the House of Representatives Republicans were debate, you know, quote unquote, debating their tax bill, the massive giveaway to the rich on the backs of America's working poor, Father Conroy said in his prayer, which also, by the way, uh, the House of Representatives is paying a chaplain $172,000 a year. That's a good gig. That's a sweet gig. Yeah. As legislation on taxes continues to be debated this week and next, may all members be mindful that the institutions and structures of our great nation Guarantee the opportunities that have allowed some to achieve great success while others continue to struggle. May their efforts these days guarantee that there are not winners and losers under the new tax laws, but benefits balanced and shared by all Americans. What a liberal. That's, that's, some basic, that's basically just some Che Guevara shit. He's a freaking cuck. Well, I guess this is okay and conservatives won't be too upset because uh, the Jesuit priest was not a 19-year-old college student. I don't get that joke. Uh they only care about you know free speech oh you blah blah blah, blah, blah. Oh. whenever like some like angsty campus leftists are screaming about whatever random asshole speaker showed up that week i just realized i don't get a lot of our jokes let's do the drop blue hawaii
I'm trying to tell the world I'm nothing to be trifled with. Staying hotter than some rifles. Welcome to the Blue Hawaii Podcast. I'm Josh Michaels. I'm Ryan Little. Today we have an astounding, an astounding interview astounding. to share with you. Yeah. We're trying to keep everything as quick as possible so we can get there. We are talking to fan favorite, local, soon to be your favorite, soon to be your favorite, University of Hawaii law professor Ken Lawson, local treasure institution, the law dog, the law father, the junkyard dog of justice, the man himself. We're talking all things criminal justice reform. You don't want to miss it. Bail reform, sentencing, uh, the failed war on drugs, mass incarceration. I'm just, I, but Ryan is signaling to me that you know I'm getting a little carried away, pounding the table for emphasis, but it's probably all going to get picked up on the audio. Yeah, that's right. I apologize for that. I'm just enthusiastic. I'm happy. I'm stoked. This is a good episode. I think you'll enjoy it. But before we get to that, yes, we've got just one news item, oh. a mailbag, and a Bicky leak. It's going to be a good one. First. A nuclear war update. Things are looking okay. I mean, leaders of North and South Korea met for the first time in 10 years yesterday. Wow. And reports are saying that the 68-year-old war will officially be brought to an end with a peace agreement instead of a ceasefire. MAGA, baby. Additionally, the Trump-Un summit is now supposed to be held in Singapore. Of course, why would anyone trust the USA to make a deal with them anymore after Trump's BS on the Paris Climate Accord and Iran deal? Or as we would also say... MAGA. MAGA. Kim Jong-un actually walked across the DMZ, the, de- the demilitarized zone that's been the border of North and South Korea ever since the armistice in 1953. He walked across to the south where he met President Moon. And uh, after noticing that he was flush and slightly panting, Twitter immediately commenced the fat shaming. And we don't condone that, even if he is a sadistic, mass-murdering, megalomaniacal maniac. It is going to be kind of odd uh, watching this this media pivot as they try to portray Kim Jong-un as a champion for peace and, and dignity over the next few Remember months and he, years. Remember when he fed his his uncle <laughs> yeah. to dogs? Like We're going to have to reconcile that yeah. at some point. But, a, you know, this is... Hey, live and let live, baby. The entire world's moment of reckoning, yeah. it appears. Next, we have a mailbag question. Mailbag? Josh, you want to take this one? Sure. So... A listener got in touch with us, uh, Randall Jadulang. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, Randall. Um, thanks for listening. He uh, said there was... He pushed back. He pushed back a little bit. He said uh, our comments last week caused a little bit of... Uh, two weeks ago now. Two weeks ago now, yes. He said they were off base. He said he said they were... Or he said his husband thought they were off That's Suggested right. they were off base. Uh, and that when we said that uh, renaming the Honolulu airport cost $30 million, he said uh, we were off uh, and our... Negative attitude was engendering mistrust of government officials. Which is a perfectly fair criticism Absolutely. that any of our listeners can make. And, and we encourage you guys to make it because we don't assume to be right about everything. No. And in fact, we are probably wrong about most things. Yeah, we just want to, we're giving our opinions and we want, I think more than anything, we want to make sure that we are truthful. So, so yeah. if, if you guys hear something that we say that's way off base, and by all means, like, let us know. So Randall, shout out to you. And in the interest of, you know, Putting all the facts out there, uh, I, I'll point to a Star Advertiser article from May 31st, 2017. Three new Daniel K. Inouye International Airport signs cost about $1 million, according to Department of Transportation spokesman Tim Sarkahara. Quote, airport officials used money from a contingency fund for a larger airport signage project, which is expected to replace thousands of airport signs, such as those directing passengers to the right gates and baggage claim areas by mid-2019, at a total cost of around $21.5 million. 
According to the Hawaii Department of Transportation, quote, the state legislature approved House Concurrent Resolution 88, Senate Draft 2, in the 2016 session, calling on the airport to be renamed after Senator Daniel K. Inouye. The resolution passed unanimously. So what it sounds like, I think we said 30 million. Yeah. And so it sounds like we were off a little bit. We were off for sure. So, so all of for... the airport signage is going to cost about 21.5 million, but that's signs for everything, not just yeah. the not just the DKI signs. That's right. And I, I think we probably we probably didn't clarify that enough. No. So uh, I, I don't know if this is, is it retraction territory? I, I don't know if we're legit we're, enough to have how retractions. About, how about updates? Updates. Updates. Edits. Updates. And, and we're sorry if, if this, as uh, Randall's husband believed it might, cause yeah. you to lose faith in our government in Hawaii. I mean, there's numerous, uh, there's, numerous, there's perfectly legitimate yeah. reasons to lose faith gonna, in our government. If you're going to lose faith uh, in Hawaii government, trust me. Like, But it shouldn't be because we misreported how much it costs to rename yeah. the airport. So for that, we're sorry. Listeners, uh, if you want to give us your favorite reason you don't trust the Hawaii government, get in touch. Feel free. We'll read the, we'll read the best ones next week on air. And today, we're back with another biggie leak. Juicy gossip. Josh, what's the biggie? So, this is a really good the one. The sticky biggie. This is... Uh, the icky sticky I, I, biggie. I heard it through the grapevine, and I'm just about to lose my mind. Honey, honey. Uh, so, city council race. Which race? The race for District 4, I believe, East Honolulu, where you... That's my district. You are a resident. Mm -hmm. So this is the one that stretches uh, Kaimuki, Kahala, Ainahaina, Hawaii Kai, and also loops back into Diamond Head. Who's currently Hawaii. in that race? So uh, the incumbent is a man named Trevor Ozawa. Okay. And he's running against a pretty big field, uh, including uh, former state representative Tommy Waters and uh, neighborhood board member Natalie Iwasa. So one local resident in who had a Tommy Waters sign on his fence was asked by Councilman Trevor Ozawa if he would also put a Trevor Ozawa sign on his fence. The resident refused. But a few days later, he received a citation from the city for a pop-up tent in his backyard. And the pop-up tent was called, quote, an unpermitted improvement. So, evidence would suggest... That might have been a politically motivated fine councilman trevor ozawa is using city resources or his peeps or his peeps are using city enforcement powers to punish people who won't support him so if you'll just rewind about two minutes back in the podcast there's perfectly legitimate reasons yeah. to lose faith in honolulu's uh local government it's, and also our the hawaii state government yeah uh, this is the same this is the same uh, councilman trevor ozawa who just returned from washington dc supposedly concluding a successful rail meeting only to find out the feds still think we're about 250 million dollars short so that's my district and i'm gonna stay out of the race publicly commenting but you decide blue hawaii blue hawaii I want to brew it on my own Cause I just don't trust you with my brew Don't drink tequila Only beer from my casita It's my drink for all seasons Thanks to home brew So if you say this beer ain't good enough I can brew my own to get me drunk I can make my wine to better suit your mood 
Listeners, welcome back. Uh, unless you've been living under a rock since the beginning of the Reagan administration, you know that we have a huge problem in this country with mass incarceration and deprivation of constitutional rights dating back to and exploding from the failed war on drugs. You also know that men of color are disproportionately impacted, particularly young black men. Indigenous people are also dramatically overrepresented in prisons across the United States, and that's especially true for Native Hawaiians here in Hawaii. And tied in with all of this is our ongoing national conversation about the role of law enforcement in our communities, police reform, and what we see as the lack of accountability for officer misconduct and officer violence. So with that said, we could not be more thrilled to be talking today with an expert in all facets of the criminal justice system. Some of our listeners may know him as the law dog, the law father, the junkyard dog of justice, University of Hawaii's own professor, Kenneth Lawson. A little about law dog. Ken Lawson is the co-director of the Hawaii Innocence Project and an associate faculty specialist at the William S. Richardson School of Law, where we happen to be currently recording, go Bows. He teaches criminal procedure, criminal law, professional responsibility, evidence, and the Hawaii Innocence Project Clinic. And also just general lessons about life and being a badass. <laughs> Professor Ken Lawson, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. It's good to see some of my former students taking such an active role in uh, things that's going on in our world uh, and speaking out about it. So congratulations to oh, you both. You're far too kind. Thank you, sir. We wish that the local community felt that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's... it's, it's Thank you so much for joining us. It's a total privilege. Uh, as soon as we started doing this, we knew like we got to have Law Dog on. We got to get him. Yeah, uh, I appreciate it. So the first question, uh, you know, when you were coaching uh, the Balsa mock trial team, Balsa standing for Black Law Students Association, of which Josh was the president. Despite if you've ever having, if you've ever followed us on any social media, you've realized he's not as black as you might think. Uh, I was, I was also this true facts, no lies. The National Black Law Student Association National Member of the Month for March 2015. <laughs> Look it up. Is it on your resume? It's it is on my resume. Good. It will always be on my resume. Good. Uh, um, anyway, we're gonna some, we're gonna, please direct your complaints to at Ryan is little <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, but yes. So anyway, first question, Professor, when you were coaching the Balsam mock trial team, your refrain to me was, "Tell me a story, Josh." So the first question, tell us your story. How did you? come to Hawaii, how did you end up as director of the Hawaii Census Project? You know, that's a long story, Josh. We can, we can, you and Ryan know that. We Um, can abridge it. We can give the abridged version. I guess, you know, I practiced law and criminal law for 18 years in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, and I uh, ended up getting addicted to opiates, painkillers. I hurt my shoulder lifting weights, 1999 or 2000, somewhere around there. I tore my rotator cuff. I was prescribed Percodan from a physician. I got hooked on Percodan, Percocet, Oxycontin. Uh, and now you see nationwide an epidemic in opiates. And a lot of times uh, individuals start off on the painkillers and then get into the heroin. And, you, and we're in the middle of a current uh, epidemic nationally with respect to heroin. And so I got addicted and just destroyed my life to the point where, you know, I thought I was gonna die a drug addict. I was in, in on February 1st, I entered detox, February 1st of 2007. 
by that time, I had a detox. I'm getting prescriptions illegally, going into pharmacies with people's names on prescriptions. It just didn't matter. Paying people to use their names, buying, paying a doctor to get the prescriptions. And it was an everyday thing, you know. And so by the time I went into detox, my habit uh, was $1,000 a day. Holy smokes. Yeah, $1,000 a day. And so... You know, my whole life in my head was just where well, I was destroyed, you know, and I was being investigated by the feds for getting prescriptions illegally. Uh, several complaints filed against me with ODC in Ohio, and, you know, just my life was being destroyed. And even then, man, I couldn't stop. You know, and people, you know, when you look at some of these, um, like Johnny Manziel, yeah. Prince, Whitney Houston, Michael Jackson, you wonder, you know, if they had all this money, why is, why are we finding Prince dead in his elevator, right, in his home? Opiates are a hell of a drug. Yeah, well, you know, and, and I think, you know, that's just addiction. I think a lot of people think, well, it's in the poor community. And we can get into that later in the show with respect to the policing yeah. and stuff like that. But getting back to it, so, you know, I just couldn't stop. Uh, I went into detox. Uh, my sobriety date is February 2nd, 2007. I haven't had a drink or a drug or a mood-altering substance since February 2nd, 2007. Awesome. That's awesome. And yeah, which is a miracle for me because up until February 2nd, man, I, 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 had, I hadn't had a sober moment in like 10 years, you know what I mean? Wow. It's just like, yeah. well, at least from, uh, I guess, about almost eight years. And so I, I'm in detox. My house is in foreclosure. Everything that I own is just financially is just either being repoed or taken away. I got the feds investigate me, FBI, DEA, for getting the prescriptions illegally. Uh, my law license I'm about to lose, and and I got federal prosecutors uh, teaming up with the FBI to investigate me, and and I just thought my life was over, and so uh, I started doing a 12-step program that month, and uh, and I've been active in it ever since but anyway so you know each uh state has a lawyer's assistance program it's for lawyers and judges who have alcohol and drug problems and maybe mental health issues which is incredibly common in the legal community everywhere well yeah out of our profession you know i think john hawkins did a study out of 104 professions uh attorneys are number one for drug addiction alcoholism depression and suicide um you know, and so uh, other studies have been done showing that 25% of all trial attorneys have a drug or alcohol problem. Wow. And you, I mean, not to hijack the story, but word on the street is, Law Dog, you were a pretty good trial attorney. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I was, uh, I did cases on national TV, uh, represented some pretty uh, high profile people. Care to drop any names? Deion Sanders was probably my biggest client. You guys are too young to remember a singer by the name of Peter Frampton. I know Peter what Frampton. I represent do you feel the way I do? Yeah. <laughs> I represented Peter Frampton. Icky Woods, he used to play for the Cincinnati Bengals. Icky Shuffle. And so, you know, just a lot of athletes, that, that professional athletes around the Cincinnati area. So some might say you were kind of on the mountaintop in yeah. the legal profession. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, you know, and so like going all the way up and coming all the way down, that's why I mentioned Prince and, and some of the other stars that you see because yeah. people think, well, if I just made enough money or if I just had enough power, then somehow I'd be okay. That'd make me happy. And at least that's the, the way I'm running. You know, my whole mind was, you know, 
uh, my mindset was basically, if I just get all this stuff, then I'll be happy. Not realizing how to enjoy the journey along the way, right? So happiness was always something that was going to come once I get mm. to a certain point in my life. It was never, am I happy now? You know, and so I'm living my life, uh, going from one moment to the next, and never being able to stay in in the present moment because I'm always thinking, what am I going to do this? What am I going to do after this? What am I going to do when I get to this point in life? And so. None of that stuff filled this hole in my soul. and But, you you know, my belief was, and, you know, you watch car uh, commercials and stuff like that, and you see commercials get that, that subtle image or impression that if you just get this car, you'll be happy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Once you get this, you'll be happy. And, you know, vacate, all this stuff, man. So that's the way my mindset was. Uh, and then the more stuff that I got, the sicker I got. Because my thought was, well, damn, why, you know, why do I still feel this hole in my soul? I got the house, I got nice cars, I'm, I'm well respected in my profession. I'm one of the top lawyers in the country, doing criminal law. The National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers had me in, in, uh, as one of the top criminal defense lawyers in the country. So it was just something that um, I didn't understand why what was missing. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of people in our profession had that same emptiness, you know, because we had this idea, this blueprint. Here's what it's going to be like once I get my law degree. Mm-hmm. And then once I get my law degree and I start practicing law and I pass the bar and it doesn't meet, the reality doesn't meet the blueprint that I have in my mind, right? And there's a disconnect for a man like me when that doesn't happen. So anyway, so I joined the Lawyer's Assistance Program in Ohio. And so you got to go to these meetings, right? And it's like secret. That's where the judges and lawyers who don't want to be known go. You know what I mean? So I didn't have, I didn't have the option of being anonymous yeah. in my mm-hmm. program, right? Because you know it was on the newspaper for two years. Drug addict, alcoholic lawyer takes money from clients' trust account. You know, been getting drugs illegally for years. All this stuff was all over the news, man. So, so I started going to those meetings, and I started going to regular AA meetings. And so then my wife found a position in Hawaii. She had a scholarship with the government to where they would pay her way through medical school if she agreed to serve two years in the depressed area. And they wanted to send her places like Hazard, Kentucky. I don't know Ooh, if you know mm-hmm. that. But Hazard's not a popular place of brothers, right? So <laughs> hey, you know. She was uh, like she was, demographically challenged. Yeah. You know, so they so she was like, nah, I ain't taking my family there. But anyway, um, so one day she came in and she told me, she came into the room and she said, you know, there's a place in Hawaii that qualifies and I'm going to go there and interview. And she came out here and interviewed. She was in, she interviewed at the Y not comp and then she uh, got the position. So then we flew out here um, and I had a case pending in Ohio uh, in federal court my, for getting prescriptions illegally. And so the Ohio's lawyers and judges program said, listen, man, when you go to Hawaii, you got to go to their little meetings. They got a judges and lawyers assistance program mm-hmm. out there. And so back then there was a man, he's no longer the director, but Steve uh, Dixon was the director back then. And uh, so I went to the meeting and then he said, do you want to, uh, how would you, and he said, well, I went to the meeting and I told my story. And he said, uh, hey, how would you like to go to the law school and tell your story to the students at the PR class up there taught by Professor Roth? And I was like, I, I don't want to go to the law school and tell nobody <laughs> shit. 
Because, you know, when you yeah. share this stuff in AA meetings or in, in Narcotics Anonymous meetings, I mean, it's just one addict yeah. talking to another. So it's like, man, you, what you're telling me ain't no big deal. I done yeah. done worse, right? But when you go out, at least in my mind, when you go out and you share these stories with people that, that aren't alcoholics or drug addicts, uh, they kind of look at you like, man, you must be out of your out of your mind. So I came out here, and that's, that's when I spoke at the class yeah. here. Randy Ross called me. He said, you know, Steve Dixon got in touch with me. He wants you to talk to my class. What are you going to say? And I think maybe we talked, Randy and I talked for like 10 minutes. And he said, okay. Came and spoke to the class. And I went back to Ohio the next month and was sent to prison for 24 months. I'm sentenced to uh, Morgantown, West Virginia, medium security prison. And so um, that was right around the time Michael Vick was getting out of prison. And so uh, um, when I got out, they sent me to this halfway house down here in Kalihi. T.J. Mahoney's halfway yeah, house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard of that. I know people have gone through that. Yeah, yeah. 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 What, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, what a place. Anyway. Welcome, welcome to Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's what they said. You know, the good news is you're out of prison. The bad news is if you uh, don't get a job in 30 days, you go back. And so I was out, and you needed a pass to get out the halfway house, and they just harassed you in the halfway house. I mean, going to prison was bad, right? But at least the guards left you alone. As long as you didn't, you know, you mind your business, and you know, so the guards kind of left you alone. But in the halfway house, it was geared towards them trying to see if you're going to violate a rule. Yeah. Mm. So they were like, come in your room, see if you got a cell phone, you know, so I, yeah. it was just dry. So I, I couldn't wait to get out the halfway house. And so um, Professor Ross, contacted me down there it's like you know the last time you was here at the university speaking to a class they loved you uh, you're in the halfway house you're back would you want to come speak to this year's class and i came i spoke and then somehow i made hooked up with jenny hench mm-hmm. who was the director of the uh, hawaiian Innocence project at the time and a professor here and she said you know i got this little clerk position it's only like ten dollars an hour it's real you know but uh, she said, I know you got a strong background in criminal law. Probably you don't want to do it, but we could really use you. And that's how I got my job. And that's how I started. And then after a while, I think Joshua, you and Ryan were coming through. I think that may have been my first year. I started teaching in 2013. They were looking mm-hmm. for somebody to teach criminal law. And so they asked me if I would teach criminal law, and I started teaching in 2013. And then I was appointed to tenure track a few years ago. And so... That's how I got here. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. That's the second question. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's actually that's uh, that's actually it. We just wanted to. Yeah, that's it. All right, everybody. The Ken Lawson. No, I think uh, I think the the reason we want to talk about that. I mean, Ken Lawson, Law Dog hits a lot of. He he checks a lot of boxes on things that we want to talk about. I mean, he's he's an attorney who's been to the absolute mountaintop of defending celebrities and all the way to the bottom of going to prison. I mean, on top of that, you're from Ohio and having uh, spoken with you several times in the past, I know that you kind of grew up in a rougher neighborhood and being a man of color yourself, I mean, you're, you're hitting all these things. You're the perfect person to talk to about criminal justice reform in America right now. So I think hearing your story only adds to the listener's idea of who you are because everybody that knows you is like, the man's an absolute legend. So. Oh. And I know you've you've touched a lot of lives, especially in the Hawaii legal community. Hell yeah, yeah. yeah especially like like the two of us. Yeah. So yeah. we're just we're again we're stoked that you're joining us. Can you tell us a little bit about the work you're doing right now at the Hawaii Innocence Project? Yeah, as you know, um, 
the the National Innocence Project, or at least the Innocence Project, started with Barry Sheck and Peter Newfield mm-hmm. back in 1993, uh, when DNA was coming in, into its own, and they used DNA to demonstrate that there are people in our system who are actually innocent of a crime and have been wrongfully convicted, and DNA, the science of DNA actually shows pe- that this does happen. Uh, and so now almost every state has an innocence project. Uh, Hawaii started here in 2005 with Brooke Hart, Jenny Hinch, William Harrison, Justin Brooks from California helped start it, and um, the dean here, Avi Soifer. What we do is we represent anybody who's been convicted in the state of Hawaii, federal, state, or military, as long as it happened here in Hawaii. And if you can show at least some... Um, make some showing that you may be actually innocent, then you apply to our program. Uh, it's student-driven, so we uh, have like 22 students enrolled in the program. Several of them are assigned to each uh, particular case. They will investigate the case, look at the transcripts, look at all the stuff, evidence in the file, and then see, one, if we believe you're actually innocent. Uh, and what we what we develop now is we have a prosecutorial, former prosecutors, who are in our legal community here in Hawaii, we will have the students present. Once they say, okay, we're ready to present this case, we think we have one that's actually innocent. Before we take the case, we, we run it through this board, so they have to present to these former prosecutors, Mike Papora, Wes Porter, Claire Connors, Flo Nakamine, I can't pronounce Flo's last name. But. <laughs> uh, Nakamine? Yeah. Yeah. These are, these are heavy hitters. These yeah, guys, yeah, yeah. Bill McCorson, Rick Freed, and he's not a former prosecutor, but he has just so much knowledge. And yeah. so, um, and then they get to grill the students. You know, did you do this? Did you do that? You know what I mean? And that way, once it pass, passes that uh, that process, at least when we found something, people know that it's valid. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And plus, if we, if we need to raise funds, we can let uh, potential donors know, look, this is not some fly-by-night. You know, we just found a frivolous stuff. We want you to know if, if it gets fouled because we do both DNA and non-DNA cases. Mm. In some cases, all the evidence is gone. We, yeah. we have one client, 1982, 19 years old, still in prison and wrongfully convicted for something, and there's no evidence left. But, I mean, there's no doubt that he's actually innocent. And so, you know, we're trying to get him out. But there's some cases that we get where you have to tell a client, we do believe you're innocent, yeah. but there's absolutely no evidence. People think it's like, you know, CSI, like, oh, that's it, boom, easy, close Well, that's case. a junk yeah. science, right? See, yeah. people think that fingerprint evidence, people think mm-hmm. that uh, bite mark evidence, tool mark evidence. I don't know if you watched John Oliver or not, mm-hmm. but he did an excellent thing yep. on, on junk science. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bite mark thing was really, really compelling, right? I mean, they said that, like, even the best guys are wrong, like, an incredibly high percentage of the time. Because there's no valid science behind mm-hmm. it, right? I mean... With fingerprints, there's been so that somebody said to you, Well, Josh, you know, your fingerprint is, is unique to, to all the others that's ever existed. No one has your exact fingerprint. Is that even true? Do, uh, no, there's <laughs> been, there, there have been no studies. Oh, okay. Right? So there's been no scientific studies where somebody has, how do you, how do, how do you know that? Yeah. Right? That's, just, that's like, kind of like an old wives' tale almost, like right, urban legend. Yeah. Right. But, you know, when you put that in court, yeah. And you have an expert testifying that, yes, I compared Josh's fingerprint with the print we found at the suspect's house mm-hmm. or the victim's house, and they match. And I'm 100% sure they match. Most jurors are going to believe that. Most yeah. judges are going to believe that. 
Uh, and so what we also try to do here, uh, and what we're going to, you're going to see more of us uh, involved, more of us being involved in this is educate the legal community. Because if attorneys don't know that bite mark evidence is junk, and so they yeah. got an orthodontist sitting there saying that clients bite mark, you know, if you don't know that, then you're ineffective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and so we, we're going to try to educate our legal community on some of the stuff that they need to know. How many people have been exonerated by the Hawaii Innocence Project so far? Right now we have two exonerations. One is in the Court of Appeals. Um, that actually just got reversed in the Court of Appeals, but it's coming back down to the trial court, so that may, hopefully three. And we got uh, several other cases that within the next year or two you should be reading about. And uh, you said that it's reliant on, at least partially on donations, is that right? Yeah, we 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 have received grants in the past, but now uh, under the new administration, some of that stuff is drying up. Gasp! Uh, the, the, you mean Jeff Sessions hasn't made this his top priority? That's really interesting. Uh, no, no it, it, <sighs> Jesus, he'd rather run around uh, talk about um, making sure that people don't legalize marijuana. <laughs> uh, but it's sad because that that commission that when you talked about John Oliver doing that thing on he 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 referred to a report. Mm-hmm of national scientists underneath uh, President Obama had commissioned national scientists to, to come back with reports on what's good forensic evidence. Uh, Sessions has disbanded that. Of course. And so the, the issue with respect to what type of science should be allowed into evidence and at least an ongoing discussion about that is not going to take place at the department, at the level of the Department of Justice. I have two questions off that. The first is if, if the Hawaii Innocence Project is going to be more donation dependent in the future due to you know shrinking grant money how do people donate if they're interested then go to uh to our website but uh, or donate through the uh foundation with the, uh, an, an earmark it to the hawaiian Innocence project my second question is uh, you mentioned shrinking grant money why why do you think the money's leaving like what is the impetus on the I, doj's I, end you know i think that a lot of conservatives get into office based on fear. And so when you look at the last presidential election or, you know, almost every presidential election or any type of lawmaker or legislative person running for election, they always run on crime. Law and order. You know, the prosecutors do the same thing. And so the interest in on justice, the interest is on locking people up. Mm -hmm. And And you see that our system, our prison system in the United States, the way that we prosecute people for things that, that aren't, shouldn't even be considered crimes, marijuana, you know, drug addiction, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? All these things, and then lock them up. And then say we're, we're one of the most civilized nations in the world. It's just a blatant contradiction when it comes to our justice system. We, we have the largest prison population on earth, I think, right? And yeah. yeah. We execute, like, other than, you know, other than, like, Saudi Arabia and China, we're, like, right up there with the death penalty as well, I think. Uh, yeah, right. And, and there's been no evidence that the death penalty deters. So you got a president running around saying that, that we should adopt China's approach to the drug epidemic yeah. and start executing people involved in that, uh, irrespective of what the Supreme Court has already ruled on with, with respect to the, uh, the Eighth Amendment and cruel and unusual punishment for a crime that does not amount to murder. It's interesting. I I saw, you know, I being from Montgomery, Alabama, I 
I know a lot of people who at some point have been in the criminal justice system. And, you know, I, on like my Facebook feed, I see like people who I grew up with who are like, ah, these criminals lock them up. I saw somebody else post the other day that, you know, they had a loved one in prison and they said, you know, everybody thinks prison sounds great until you realize that we're just putting people in cages and just making them sit in cages for years. And we expect them to be rehabilitated. We expect, yeah, that that's going to somehow lead to a more verdant society. And it's like, it doesn't work. I mean, it's, it's, and it's disgusting to see it. And it's disgusting to think that we're all complicit in it to some extent or have been at some point in the past. Uh, Absolutely. I I think we look at, at, at it as still retribution, you know, or, and just, you know, get out of our sight, you know? And so there's a lack of caring. When you look at some of the other countries that have, Switzerland and other other you know that have utilized more humane measures that give inmates hope that don't put them in a cage right put them in an apartment like mm-hmm. setting and let them know all right listen you still have a responsibility to yourself and to the community you know and so that you have to make amends to the people that you hurt but you also should know that, that we're not abandoning you we don't we're not going to mark you and label you as you know your human life is just over with mm-hmm. uh, and that's just the way you may and haven't been on both sides and so when i was sent to prison man a lot of people i met in prison were not you know hardcore you know there's some guys that need to be there obviously but there were other people in there man and there's just and they they they've, they've lost hope mm-hmm. now here in hawaii right we buy into this private prison system yeah and send our inmates out to arizona and so you got inmates whose family can't afford to go to see them and visitation in prison is like christmas man i mean you look forward to your visits not only that but at least for that hour two hours while you're visiting it's like you're not in prison anymore. You go to the visiting room, right? There's a snack machine there, yeah. right? So somebody can go get you a pop or, you know, some candy. One time you're treated like a human, basically. Right, and you're seeing people that care about you, so you get that look. So when you go back in, when they leave, and it's time for them to go home, and you got to go get searched again and go back into into population, right? When you're walking back in there, you feel better. You yeah. feel some hope. And, and for us here in Hawaii to say, yes, we care about, our citizens, and yes, this is the Aloha spirit, and yes, you know, all this other stuff. Oh yeah, and send them to the mainland, particularly Native Hawaiians, sending them away from their ancestral community, their their host. Native culture, Hawaiians, yeah. you know, but it's not, but anybody. Yeah, we know that the system disproportionately imprisons Native Hawaiians, and we'll get to the policing being at least the beginning of that. You know, how does it happen? It's not just the judges. It starts with what are you policing? Mm-hmm. People getting high in Kahala. People doing a whole bunch of illegal stuff in Hawaii Kai. Yeah. yeah. But you don't police them the same way you do in Why not? No. Nope. You ain't policing them the same way you do in Ever Beach, mm-hmm. right? And so, again, it's a different thing. You got kids skipping school and being truant all up and down Hawaii Kai, Kahala, right? But they're not going oh, those, into the juvenile justice system. The, oh, those are just kids. You know, kids are going to be kids, like blah, 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 right? Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, where are you policing that and how are you policing, mm-hmm. right? And so, but getting back, you know, so we send all all of our inmates over there and what, what hope are you providing? Yeah. I mean, really, man, I mean, I can't tell you how degrading it is. Even when you're not going into a prison to where, you know, because I'm, I'm pretty physical, so, you know, but for, for people that, that are small, you know what I mean? I, I mean, the whole thing, man. And so you send them out there, and then you expect somehow, when they come back, 
not to get in trouble again. You know, but if I don't care about myself, why should I care about you? And when you send me into a cage and you keep me there for years and you, you the only way I can see my family is, is on a video because they can't afford to fly out here, stay at a hotel just to come visit me. Mm-hmm. In the middle of you nowhere know? in Arizona. Right. And, and there's no reason why we can't do it here. Yeah. Other than we don't want to. Yeah, I mean, you know, with with Arizona Saguaro prison for everybody listening at home. The thing about Saguaro, too, is, like you mentioned, it's a private prison. It's right. not, you know, there's an the old joke about club fed versus the state pen. Like, but down in Alabama, there's Atmore prison, which is like, you don't want to go to Atmore. It's like, it's been all locked up. It's like, it's like real rough down there. Like, people don't always have clean water. They don't have food all the time. And like, when you go to a private prison, there's an incentive to keep costs down. That means mm-hmm. there's an incentive to like, you know, give you less food, give you less to eat treat you more inhumanely because it helps drive profit for the shareholders yeah. it's, it's it's a completely different and i mean you're already going to arizona but now you're already now you also have to compound it with the fact that you're going to a shitty prison yeah. it's not like well, not only that but in order for your private business to be successful you need repeat customers yeah, that's right and so there's no there's no emphasis on rehabilitation there's no emphasis on that you can go out and never come back and here we're going to provide you with some hope and some training and some skills so that you can see that you 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 still have some value to society, and and we become disconnected from that. Even here in Halava and and you know Super Bowls and stuff, you know they cancel visitations and stuff like that. So you the know. guards can. Yeah, I'm go telling party, you, man, yeah. the whole place. I, I mean, and and so you you live in we live in a state to where you would think. At least here's my thinking. But I had never been to Hawaii until until we came here in 2008, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking, you know, blue state, very modern, you know what I mean? Very liberal, you know, just cutting, you know. You'd be surprised. Right. And, yeah. and so coming out here, seeing the, 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 our public school system, the shambles it's in, and what's going on here with, with the jail and the, the halava, it's sad. And then we wonder why the ex-chief of police, and his wife is in trouble. And we can point the finger and say, look out, look at these bad people. But how do they get that way? Yeah. I mean, do you really think, and, and they get that way because no one stands up and says this stuff is wrong. No one stands up and says, you know what, this shit has been going on too long. It's almost like we don't want to ruin anybody's aloha. So, you know, they're family. You know what I mean? So don't say nothing. Yeah. They couldn't exist. People only do to you what you let them do to you. They couldn't have been able to do all these things to to not just their uncle, but to other citizens. I mean, unless we unless they were allowed to do it. I mean, what what type of arrogance must you have to say I can set up my own uncle on a fake mailbox claim? So you know, this is a perfect time to talk about policing. Hawaii, you know, we've seen we've got a, a new chief in place. She's running into yeah. I like the new chief. Yeah, she's running into roadblocks in the department. You know, trying to make some change. What do you think, what do you, and not that HBD necessarily listens to this show, but like what needs to change in Hawaii starting from the top down? I mean, you know, Frederick Douglass said it, man. Power conceives nothing without demand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as, as much as the chief has, I mean, I, I commend her, but, you know, that's a culture that, that one person can't change. What, what it's going to take is a federal, and well, now that we got a different administration, but you would need the Justice Department to come in and you would need a consent decree with federal oversight. What we did in Cincinnati in 2001 after the riots, we filed a federal lawsuit and it's still being used in uh, Ferguson, Cleveland, our model that, that we devised. We just didn't sue the police 
and then say we want money. We sued for systemic change. And so we brought in the Justice Department. We brought in the police union. And we had five years oversight from a federal court. And we had a monitor from Michigan that would come in and make sure all parties are abiding by it. And so we changed the use of force. The police, anytime they stopped anybody on the street, they had to fill out contact cards. What are you stopping this person for? What's their name? What's their time? Right? And and they 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 were kicking and screaming. They was like, no, we ain't doing this. And so we had to go to the monitor. They're not living up to what they said, right? And then the judge brings them into court. Don't do it. We're about to find the city. And we're not talking about $100. We're talking substantial amounts. And so that was forcing them to change. After two years of doing that, the police officers started liking it. The complaints that citizens were found against the police went down to almost zero, right? Because there was more communication going yeah. on. It required the police to do what they call community problem-oriented policing, which means that each off, several officers were appointed to a, a different neighborhood. They just don't cruise through it. They got they walk through it. They they talk to neighbors. Meet the people. Know the people. And let's say there's a drug house down down here on Dole Street, right? Somebody, you know, it's a crack house or whatever. So now we meet with the police, the, right? And when we tell them this is a problem, we got it's not, right? And so the problem becomes unique to the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So we get into, to, you may have different problems in the Wyandotte neighborhood than you do in, in other neighborhoods. And so you deal with your local community police and the police deal with the community leaders. And they sit down and they discuss how do we, how do we problem solve this instead of just traditional policing. You know what I mean? And so all of that, man, led to way, no shootings for years and very few complaints from citizens against the police. But it was... It, it, my answer to your question, Josh, is that they had to be forced to do that. And so here, you know, you see different civil rights lawsuits, but you don't see any for systemic change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You see, okay, we'll pay us and we go away. So so what happens is you don't see, you know, you see a lot of uh, excessive force claims here, mm-hmm. people being shot, mm-hmm. you know, moving away from the police. And no change. And this chief of police, uh, God bless her, but she, you know, she needs more power behind her. And uh, to me, it's just it, it's going to take a federal lawsuit to do it. Yeah, and Shopo's fighting her every step of the way too. I mean, they don't they don't want her to get an inch because I mean, they got a lot of power. Old boys club to the max. Yeah. Well, like, and that, like that's not unusual. You know, yeah. police unions are powerful, and that's why they're able to keep their jobs. You know, when you got a guy beating up his his, his girlfriend and committing domestic violence on tape. Yep. In a restaurant. Wait, Waipahu, yeah. 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 And, and then still being able to keep his job after a while and, and not being prosecuted. Uh, and so you'll see a lot of officers, man, who you think would be fired, but because of the union and the arbitration clause and stuff like that, they can get their jobs back even if they are fired. So, you, you know, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. And, and again, I, I just think that it, it's going to take more than just would you please change or, you know, because, like you said, the shop coast fighting her every step of the way. So it's kind of hard to undo what's been uh, cemented almost in stone for years in the way that they police. But like I said, people only do to you what you let them do. And somebody needs to, you know, take them on. A class action lawsuit. Because we already know, right? We got the studies that show the Native Hawaiians disproportionately affected in the policing mm-hmm. and in our justice system. And that's what we did. When we did our class action suit, we had to, to argue that any person of color skin that was coming to from, driving through Cincinnati, 
living in Cincinnati. So you got to, you know, as you all know from your law studies, you got to really designate what class are you, you mm -hmm. know, are you asking to 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 uh, represent, and how do you narrow that class down? Uh, the ACLU of Hawaii just put out a study, and they found that around half the people sitting in Hawaii's jails have not been convicted of the crime for which they've been charged. And the United States currently incarcerates 2.3 million people, and 443,000 of those, about 20%, have not been convicted of any crime at all and are merely awaiting trial. So what can be done to fix this? What are your thoughts? And are there any examples Hawaii can look to as how to improve? Yeah, well, the other states in, on the East Coast that have underwent bail reform, New Jersey is one. And I think, too, you know, people don't understand bail is just to make sure that you appear in court. Yeah. Right. And so if you can demonstrate to the court that you're not a threat to flee the jurisdiction or that, that you will appear, then you should just be OR, you know, or, or a signature bond. What people are using bail for, prosecutions and judges, are to do on the front end. And with what in a lot of cases they can't do on the back end. In other words, if you're in there for a trespass and your bond is ten thousand dollars and you're going to give even if you're convicted, all you're going to get is probation. Yeah. But you can't make your bond, so you got to sit for two months, and then let's even if you're found guilty, the judge gives you probation. In other words, you're punishing people on the front end when you wouldn't punish them on the back end. Especially most trespass cases here are like a homeless guy sleeping in the park. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and so what it leads to is it leads to a lot of wrongful convictions. It leads to a lot of innocent people pleading guilty for crimes they didn't commit. It makes our public defenders way more overworked and ineffective because they just cannot keep up with all these cases. And so, you know, you, you got a person who, who's locked up, for instance, on some misdemeanor stuff, and they have a bond, but they got to go to work or they need child care. And so what they're going to tell you is just plead me out. Yeah. You know, if I can go home today, I but, you know, the facts don't look like you did this, ma'am. It doesn't matter. I got to get yeah. home to my kids or just, I got to, you know, I can't afford to lose my job. Just deal with it. I'm just... We'll work it out as we go. Yeah. Right. And so, again, bond and bail is just to make sure that you appear for the trial. And so, again, if the state wants to argue that you or a defendant should have bond, then they should have to prove in front of a judge. Here's why we believe this person is not going to show up to court. Yeah. Or here's why we believe this person is a danger to the community if you let them out. But when you got people being held on nonviolent property crimes, right? or drug addict, you know, just being held, taking up space. It ends up where you have all these people incarcerated. You continue to need to build bigger jails or smash them all into what we're doing now, overcrowded situations. Yeah. Not to mention, you know, even a couple of days in jail, you lose your job. You could get thrown out of your home. Your family situation could deteriorate. It all, it all stems back to so many uh, unintended consequences. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and so, I mean, again... It needs to be reformed, and but there's pushback. Yeah. So the ACLU does. Oh, you're soft on crime. Like why do right. you? Yeah. Right. Or or just that fear you're gonna let them out. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they haven't been convicted of anything. <sighs> uh, Law Dog, we got some questions from our listeners. Uh, we let them know that we were gonna be talking to a man of your stature, and uh, <laughs> man of your stature. <laughs> what's your take on criminalizing? houseless persons and isn't that kind of what our newly imposed sit lie bans do that's exactly what it does you know and they had this big problem in california that's exactly what i mean so in other words you're going to criminalize me because i don't have a place to go mm -hmm. and so how do you so then what what's the punishment 
You, you know what I mean? And why am I being criminalized? Because I don't have a place to go. And again, it comes back to this tourism. Protect, keep it clean for the tourists. That's yeah. it. You know what I mean? Let's get this Aloha image. And you know, so in other words, I want you to think that we have this Aloha spirit, but truly, you know, the whole Aloha spirit is that old adage is is is, is really should be reflected on how how do you treat the poorest of your citizens? How do you treat you know the ones that can't afford anything? Yeah. And then we can determine what your Aloha spirit is. And right now, as far as I'm concerned, it, it, it's not there. Right? It's not there. It's bullshit. I mean, it's fake. It's almost like, you know, here's what I want, you know. When I came up, man, my parents would say, you know, what goes on in our house stays in our house, you know. And so don't let anybody know what kind of problems we have inside the house. When we go out here, we, you know, and that's the same way Hawaii is to a certain extent. Don't make waves. Don't air your dirty laundry. Yeah, yep. yeah because when I first came out here, we lived in, and we still live in Ever, right? So my wife worked at Y&I.com, so when, when I would take her to work in the morning, we'd go all the way down, right? And so you would see for like three miles, man, just, you know, homeless people on the mm -hmm. beach, but they had them, you know, so you got families living in there. When Disney wanted to build out there. Forget about it. Right? They cleaned that, and, and that was a condition of them building, is my understanding, that they had to get rid of all the homeless. And so now where are they going? Because, as you all know, man, you lose your job here. If you live in paycheck to paycheck and you lose your job here, you're going to be homeless. Mm -hmm. Right? If it takes you 30 days to get a new job, by the time you get that job, you out of your, you know, you've been eviction, right? How are you going to get a down payment and the first month's rent for your next apartment? Mm -hmm. Right? And so you live in there. When I used to work at 24-Hour Fitness, I would see the homeless come in at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Just to take a shower, but 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 you know, so they would come in, they take a shower, and 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 they go on to work. So it's not like the homeless are just sitting around with bottles of Jack Daniels no. and Rich's Wild Irish Rose, you know, just you know, laying on the corner. A lot of them have kids that they had to take to school, et cetera. So I mean, you know, it, it angers me because, and and this is my own fault. My expectation before I moved here of Hawaii, and it being a blue state, it being democratic was that we uh, would be on the cutting edge of taking, that, that we would care, which is what at least the Democratic Party says, that, that, that you know we care about people. Well, how is that shown here? How is that shown here, man? And uh, I think it was our 10th episode, we actually went out to Pu'uhonua Owai'anae, which is the homeless camp that the DLNR was going to sweep a few weeks yeah. back. And uh, we spoke with Twinkle Borge, who's the auntie who runs everything out there. She said that more than 50% of the people that live out there have full-time jobs. Yeah. Full they just can't afford, they can't afford rent, can't like, afford electricity. Yeah, it, does, it, it just didn't matter. It didn't yeah. matter if you had a full-time job. You still couldn't put a roof over your kid's Right. Head. Because, you, I mean, and again, at some point you're playing catch-up, right? Mm -hmm. So if you lose your job even for, for, for two weeks and you get a full-time job, I mean, it's going to take you a long time just to catch up to be able to afford a down payment, you know. And, and again, and so our industry here, our tour, it depends on poor people. It depends on having enough people that's willing to take the jobs nobody else wants to do right down here in Waikiki, drive all the way from Waianae, you know, ever, or, or come down here on the bus or what have you, and then go back. Man, don't get me started. So it, it, to me, like I said, so we need more people like the ACLU, legal aid, and lawyers to stand up and start fighting. Because one thing that's missing to me here legally is a bunch of fighters, man, and not just fighting 
uh, to represent a defendant that's guilty of a criminal, you know, uh, the the line. I'm talking about fighting for people that can't fight for themselves and, and fighting to make a better way for, for uh, uh, people so that so that there can be some structural change in the way that, that, that we uh, uh, treat our homeless. And to, to say, you know, we're going to have to sit and lie. And I'm telling you, man, it, and then claim Aloha is some bullshit. And it needs, you know, people need, you know, that's why I'm glad you guys do these podcasts, man. Because, soon, you know, like I said, man, sooner or later, people need to stand up. And I can't emphasize that enough. The only reason why we are the way we are is because no one stood up and tried to stop this shit. And people are going to do what, what what you let them do. And, and, and you know, I've seen, you on the mainland, you know, as well as I do, man, you got legal entities that are active. Mm-hmm. When stuff goes down, and so you look around here, you expect to see protests. When People hit the streets, you know, yeah. You don't see that. You don't even see it in our student body, right? But you go on the mainland and some shit break off like a sitting live band or something like that, man. And you got, you know, you you're gonna see students out there, lawyers out there for the poor and stuff like that, and tell them come on with it, right? You fighting? Yeah. One of our other listeners wanted to know. Uh, she said. I'm curious about the growth of alternative courts, like drug courts, mental health courts, et cetera, and where Hawaii is on that. Any idea? I think, well, I think Hawaii's family court, I think is just innovative. I really do. I like Judge Browning. I like, yeah. all, you know, the stuff that he had, I think he's with uh, probate now, but he, he made a lot of great changes in family court. I think the drug court is necessary because, you know, as we see, you know, that's one thing too. You know, not to, not to, to, but see, like when, when, when crack was an epidemic, when cocaine was an yeah. epidemic, even in 1972, when, when the song Freddie's Dead by, you know, uh, Curtis Mayfield and the Superfly album, you guys too young to remember that, man. <laughs> but Freddie's Dead was a song that talked about a heroin addict. And even back then, man, it was lock them up yeah. or let them die. And it wasn't until we started seeing on the mainland whites being affected by opiates that now we see uh, a, a push movement on compassion, treatment yeah. and compassion. Now I the mean, middle it, class white people are affected. And, and it should be. It, it, uh, but right, It should be. But it shouldn't take an epidemic for you to see yeah. that there's something wrong with your justice system when you criminalize addiction. I, I like that Josh noted it was middle class white people because growing up, I remember a lot of people who you knew they just took some medicine in their trailer and they would be kind of out of it for several yeah. hours and nobody cared about them. But then all of a sudden, once it started hitting suburbia and, you know, a couple of, a couple of prominent white collar guys go down on an accidental OD, yeah. all of a sudden now Mitch McConnell is going to allocate money toward it. Mm-hmm. And, Absolutely. And, 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 you know, in Kentucky, where, you know, and, and all that stuff was always been prevalent, you know, even back in, because uh, they, they were calling the opiates hillbilly heroin, mm-hmm, right? And so I, when it was in Appalachia and all that place, they didn't give it, they didn't give a crap, right? Uh, and so all these doctors had these pill mills and stuff like that. But anyway, getting back to, to the question, I, I like the, the uh, but but again, I don't think that when a person fails, it then it turns into, because a lot of the alternative treatment is, okay, we'll give you treatment. Uh, but if you mess up on probation, then, you know, we're going to stick you with the conviction. Mm-hmm. I mean, either it's an illness or it's not. Yeah. Uh, you know, e- e- you know, even you may have uh, uh, military courts, for, you know, and you see a lot of psychosis, you know, from the military. Oh, yeah. Come, PTSD right? and 
So yeah, we're all responsible for for our actions. I'm whether I'm addicted to, to painkillers or not, I'm responsible for my actions. But when it comes to PTSD and stuff like that, you're talking about mental illness, and we somehow, you know, because of our fear of crime, don't want to see that as right an illness. And so, if a person is mentally ill, does something like this guy escaped from the the, the mental ward, right? Um, People just lock them up, lock them yeah. up, lock them up. But if I don't have a men's ray, if I don't have a mental state to commit the crime because I'm not in my right state of mind, am I struggling with an illness? And so we don't want to provide for the mentally ill through hospitalization anymore. All that stuff has been cut. So they sitting down there homeless, and they become part of the sitting line criminalization uh, because we don't want to treat them. So now we turn them into criminals, the addictions, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff, man. So to answer the, the caller's question, I'm, I'm for that reform, but I still think that we have to come up with other alternatives, even for person, because part of that recovery is failing. Yeah. Part of that recovery is failing. Yeah, right? That's absolutely right. Uh, I had the the, the, you know, the blessing of never having a relapse up until this point. But, you know, plenty of people that I um, got sober with and that I continue to work with as a sponsor today, yeah. um, you know, come in and you think they got it, and then all of a it's sudden they, they failed. And some people that you think are never going to get it, all of a sudden get it, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's not a straight path, right? So last question uh, from a dear friend of the show, Alan, a.k.a. Tough Gong Cow. What's your arm workout, Law Dog? <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling him I'm going to work it out on his head. If he's <laughs> all right. And then uh, our for real last question, would you mind sticking around for our shout out segment? No. All right. That's fine. Perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, the man, the myth, the legend, Professor Ken Law Dog Lawson. Blue Hawaii. Thanks, guys. Blue Hawaii. If you're feeling thirsty in Honolulu, just wait a while, go get some gear down in homebrew. They also help with cider and your kimchi, too. Yeah. 740 Moova. A Yeah. Shout outs. Shout out time. All right, everyone. Shout out to all of you who are helping Kauai recover from the devastating rain and flooding it experienced a few weeks ago. KHON2 did a joint telethon on Wednesday with KIUC. That's the Kauai Island Utilities Commission, basically their version of HECO and the Red Cross. Uh, follow Mayor Bernard Carvalho on all your social media to keep track. And please consider donating time or money if you can. East Honolulu got hit too. But they're all rich, so they'll be okay. Just kidding. Uh, help them as well. Help them too. Yeah. Uh, we already, we've already, we've already, uh, we've centered uh, Hawaii Kai and Kahala as the contrast in this episode. So yeah. They won't be surprised that we're taking shots. Uh, shout out to Uncle Ron Mizutani on his new gig. Ron will be leaving KHON for the nonprofit sector. Star advertisers reporting: Veteran newsman Ron Mizutani is leaving the television station KHON to become president and CEO of the Hawaii Food Bank. The longtime news reporter and anchorman who started at KHON in 1985 will begin his new role at the Food Bank on Monday after finishing his last show yesterday. Ahui ho, Uncle Ron. Good for him. Lawdog, any shout outs? Any, anything cool going on this week that we should know about? No, I'm getting ready for exams. I don't know how cool that is. <laughs> That's not shout cool out, at Shout all. out Richardson students hitting the home stretch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Shout, yeah, shout out, especially to our Innocence Project students. You know, we just did a presentation yeah. on the uh, uh, Dana Ireland case. Oh, yeah. Um here with our students and with the uh, faculty and, and our review panel. Uh, but a shout out to all the uh, graduates of 2018 from the William S. Richardson Law School. 2018, geez, we're 2018. old. 2018, oh. oh my gosh. 
All right. Yeah, I remember yelling at Josh when he was here, but you know that, that's what I yelled at. Him. <laughs> Tell me a story, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but but you uh, you you, uh, you turned it in, into an awesome asset, especially when you went off to competition. That's hey, right. All thanks to you, Law Dog. All, all right, uh, give me your favorite Law Dog quote, Josh. I got one. Okay. Uh, this is uh, the introduction to criminal law, I think. Oh, is this, is it my, am I about to steal yours? Is it going to be the same one as mine? It's probably going to be the same one. All right, one which as one is it? As a, a law dog explaining in a very easy to understand way the, the legal principle of self-defense. This is exactly my <laughs> quote. <laughs> it's uh, the law would rather you take an ass whooping than kill somebody. <laughs> and like that, nothing in law school made more sense to me than that. Like that makes perfect sense i remember going in my crim exam thinking the same thing i was like all right the law would rather me take an ass whooping than kill somebody yeah, all right now that's that's only when it comes to non-deadly force that's right yeah right? that's right i remember oh my other favorite uh law dog quote that i remember i think it was you were talking to our professional responsibility class and you said something like i was a pretty damn good trial trial lawyer i got this one guy off on self-defense and he shot someone in the back yeah <laughs> Because because it always came down to when it came down to to, to self defense and homicides, it really did. Did the guy who who was killed? Did he deserve it? And was your client the one who was supposed to give it to him? And if you can, if those two things, the jury will go along. Oh yeah, did he deserve it? And was your guy the right guy to do it? Yeah. Oh, actually, I got I got a question. I should have asked this before our shout out segment. I remember a couple of years ago, you were trying to petition for reinstatement or ability to be able to take the bar exam in Hawaii. Would you mind sharing with the listeners a little bit about what's going on with that, if that's not too personal? No, no, not at all. And so because Ohio is one, I was disbarred in Ohio. If you get disbarred in, in California or in Hawaii and almost all the other states, maybe it's, Hawaii is like a handful of states to where disbarment is permanent. Yeah. And so the only way that, that I could practice here is if they make a rule that would allow me to do it um, because it requires me to be in good standing wherever I came from. Mm. So in order to be licensed here, I would have to be licensed in Ohio again, which can never happen, no matter how good I become or how you know my behavior changes. It's a death penalty state. It's a they death call penalty it? state. If, if I was in, in California or another state like Hawaii, I could get my license back again and then apply. Um, but it is what it is. So that's a that'd be a Supreme Court rule that would need would to change. Have, yeah, it would need, be a Supreme Court rule that would need to be amended. Yeah. And I mean, did they did they show any willingness or interest in potentially amending it? I haven't I haven't approached it yet. You know, I, I thought about an equal protection claim because there are other lawyers who are similarly situated to me from different states sure. who have been allowed to come in and practice once they were able to demonstrate that you know that they are sober, or whatever. But I really love what I'm doing, man. I, I mean, you know. Um, because I did, I did it from from speeding ticket cases all the way to death penalty cases. You know what I mean? But I, I feel very useful being here at the law school, teaching young men like yourselves and young women uh, who you graduated with, and, and those that are coming through now. Uh, Richardson is very lucky to have you. I have a blast teaching. And I don't know about any, you know, but you all know. I mean, I teach a lot of courses. Oh yeah. And I don't do it because they make me do it. I, I you know, I asked to do it. Um, You're everyone's favorite. I yeah. mean, it's, it's a ton of fun for me to teach, man. I remember um, when I was selecting classes, I would just look to see what you were teaching, and if I hadn't <laughs> taken, I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll try to take that. Yeah. I appreciate it. All right. So at the end of every episode, we do restaurant shout outs. So basically, it's whatever restaurant 
you love you're you're thinking maybe somebody hasn't gone to yeah. it's just you know whatever's top of yeah. mind whatever's on your heart you ate there recently for the first time discovered it and uh, no, it's, it's, it's going to be Roy's, man. Because Which location? Nothing wrong with that. The the one up there in uh, Hawaii Kai. Okay. And, and I, but, you know. You shit on Hawaii Kai, but you know what? That Roy's is good, though. <laughs> but it could be any of his locations as long as they serve that, that chocolate lava cake. Now, let me explain mm-hmm. something to you, man. I mean, I don't care what, what you have for dinner. You got to order <laughs> that cake, man. <laughs> Because I have a cheat day, right? But you need that lava cake, man. It's something about, I don't I, know. I, can... I remember on our trip, I remember uh, we were in Portland. Voodoo Donuts came on your cheat day, and that's the happiest man I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> and, life. And, you know, I, I went back out to Portland, too. Because, you know, it's, all, it's always a line for the Voodoo yeah. Donuts, right? Yeah. So I was out there for an uh, Innocence Project conference. And I remember uh, waking up at 4 in the morning and walking all the way down. So I didn't have to stand in line. I got a huge box, put them on a the plane, and came back with them. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, Josh, what about you, man? So I want to give a quick shout out to uh, Chronic Tacos in the Safeway Kapahulu Shopping Been Center there? that we accidentally stumbled upon, did not realize it was there. Uh, as far as Chipotle knockoffs go, it's the best dang Chipotle knockoff you can get in Hawaii. Other than Moe's. Well, it's all the way out. that's all the way out in Aea. I don't want to drive <laughs> out there. That's true. It's, that one's yeah. right around your house. I, I, can walk, I can walk to Chronic Tacos. I can't walk to Moe's. That's true. Uh, my restaurant shout out this week is Puka's at Whole Foods Kahala. They got burgers, sushi, uh, cauliflower nachos, which are surprisingly good, uh, buffalo wings, and plenty of amazing local beers. They also, I found out uh, two days later when I went to Whole Foods for groceries, they have a happy hour where all their draft beers are $2 yeah. off. It's pretty darn Pretty damn good Pretty, food. What was it? Dwar? I, I was Dwar? trying to decide, decide how hard I was going to go like in on that. Damn and dark. Yeah, it's pretty damn good food. That's all I'm trying to say. <laughs> they got good fish and chips too, man. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what I saw. I, yeah. think, I think you pointed it out yeah. yeah, while we were there. We went there last week after recording. I was real impressed. Yeah. You don't expect a restaurant inside a grocery store to be that good. No. Kahala Mall, though, like, do they deserve it? I don't know, but... I like Kahala Mall. <laughs> I like their movie theater. It's the only... It's like... It's kind of low key. They play some weird artsy movies sometimes. Yeah, we don't have. Yeah. yeah, they play for the old folks. Man. Yeah, that is what it is. Yeah, yeah they yeah. play stuff that it's, they're not all trying to. It's yeah. not like all not all Marvel movies, you know. <laughs> they got the senior citizen walk like at six in the morning. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Doing yeah. laps. Perfect. Um, any other thoughts? No, Lot like any any final thoughts? No, any thanks, last thanks, wisdom you'd like to share? You guys keep up the good work. Thanks for doing this. Thank you for all being right. here, man. Ladies and gentlemen, one more time, Professor Ken Lawson. This is Blue Hawaii Podcast. Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii.